Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian. Two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life. So buckle up and don't be shy. Because yep, we're We're going going there. Hello, hello. We are back for another Going There episode. Hello, Christian. Who do we have today? We have Laura from Risen Motherhood. We are thrilled to chat with you today, Laura. So thank you so much for being with us today. Yes. Hi. Oh, hi. Yes, it's my pleasure. I'm super thrilled to be here. Guys, if you don't know the ministry of Risen Motherhood or don't consume any of their content, you're in for a real treat because Samantha and I, just honestly, their ministry has been really impactful to us as women and us as moms. But even if you don't find yourself as a mother right now, you can still consume and get tons of wisdom and just biblical truth in what they put out. And so we're really excited to chat with you today. And thanks for your time. Yes, we have Laura Whiffler with us. And she is one half. You guys are sister-in-laws, right? That's right. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you guys are a sister-in-law duo, which I always thought was so much fun because I have a sister-in-law who I love. And so it's fun when you can, it it can be probably harder parts and more fun parts too with mixing family (laughs) and work. But would you just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, your work, everything? Yes, of course. So as you said, my name is Laura Whiffler and I am the executive director, co-founder and co-host of Risen Motherhood and the podcast there. Risen Motherhood is a ministry that our whole hope is just to help moms connect their faith with their motherhood. So we want to draw a big line between the Sunday morning sermon and the Monday morning snotty nose. What do those two (laughs) things have to do with each other? So that is one of our big goals there at Risen Motherhood. And I love getting to work there because we work through podcasts and blog posts and social media and all sorts of great digital avenues of reaching the mom anywhere in the world, really, which is so cool about 2023. So outside of that, I also do my own writing and I have the privilege of being able to write books, specifically children's books lately, which has been a newfound love for me. I didn't expect that or think that that would be something that my path would hold, but I have written for adults and I'm basically like, no, just give me all the kids. Give <laughs> yeah. me all the kids. Yeah. So it's just so fun to see their responses to books and how they take in information. So They are really fun. And then, of course, I have my own three children here. I live in central Iowa, so fellow Midwest girl with you guys. And I have a nine-year-old, eight-year-old, and a five-year-old here at home. And uh, we just have a great time. They're all in public school, but as soon as they're home, I love being able to just put down my work and go be with them. So. Those That's are busy awesome. ages. We I have know. I have a four and a half and a two and a half year old right now. And I'm like, I think it only gets busier from here. Probably more fun, oh, yeah. but busier for sure. With all <laughs> it, the activities it definitely gets more fun. I mean, I know every stage is precious, but I will tell you, like, motherhood is getting more and more fun mm. every year. Mm-mm. It's so encouraging to me. I feel like we hear all of the moms who have like teenage kids tell us that when they come on the podcast. Yes. And it's so encouraging because I think you hear a lot of people saying, Okay, well, these are the most precious years. You really have to so can, I mean, my daughter just turned five and Christian knows she starts kindergarten next year and I didn't think I'd be emotional about it. And it's been really hitting me. And I saw something the other day. It's like, you only get these five years at home with your kid. And it's just like, okay, well, once that's gone, what? So they're just like nothing to us anymore. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's encouraging to hear that it gets more fun and that you still get to have these like really cool dynamic relationships with them and pour into them any chance you get. So. 
Yeah, it's so true. I think there's so much pressure on young motherhood. I mean, I felt the exact same thing when I was in the early years of motherhood where it's like, oh, these first five years are the most formative years of their lives. And I'm setting up the trajectory for whether or not they're going to follow Jesus when they're 30. And I mean, there is some elements of truth, like it's an important season in a mom's life. But at the same time, now being over halfway through raising at least one of my kiddos, I would say like, yes, take those years as sacred, but also like it's the long haul. We're not parenting until age five. We're trying to parent all the way till we launch them and far beyond that. And so, yeah, I just always want to say like, oh, don't feel so much pressure, moms. You know, I have a lot of compassion for the little years because those are hard years. Oh, yes. And we'll touch on that tension. I love that you already bring that up because such tension there is in motherhood and just life and all. But you talked about it a little bit. I want to dive into your new book, um, Like Me, a story about disability and discovering God's image in every person. Can you dive in with us a little bit more? Talk to us about the book. Why did you write the book? And what's your hope? Of course. Yeah. So Like Me is, as you noted, a story about disabilities. And it's a fiction story. So it is just a story about our day. You know, it's not necessarily this didactic piece of literature that's designed to teach kids a deep, huge theological truth. But my hope is that it indeed still does that through a little bit more natural storytelling. So the book is really a day in the life of our family. My youngest daughter, she is five, but when she was two months old, she was diagnosed with what's called rare chromo. It's a blanket term for a genetic disease, and she is completely unique. So there's no one else in the world who has exactly what she has, as far as we know. And when she was diagnosed, the doctors told us, we just kind of look at similar cases and more than likely she'll never walk. She'll probably never talk. And as a mother, that was incredibly painful. It was a very, very hard season. And we've really just been on a journey since then to see our daughter develop and unfold and discover who she is. And We are joyfully celebrating that she does indeed walk and she is learning to talk, which is really incredible for us. But for those five years since she was diagnosed, I just had a front row seat to watching children process disability. And as they kind of figure out, okay, what do I do with someone who acts differently than me, who speaks differently than me, who behaves in ways that I don't understand? And kids are trying to categorize the world. They are trying to figure out is this safe? Is this not? Is this funny? Is it joyful? Is it sad? Does it hurt me? You know, they're, that's what they're doing. Speaking of these first five years that we were talking about, the majority of their five years is spent saying, okay, what do I think about this new world that I have been brought into? How am I supposed to perceive that? And oftentimes they are looking to us as parents to really help them understand, okay, this is safe. Okay. This is not scary. Okay. This is familiar to me. And so my hope with like me was to provide a teaching tool in a sense for parents to be able to pick it up and say, okay, I want to teach my child about disabilities in a natural way. And I want to take away some of the mystery around disabilities. And I remember before I had a child with disabilities, how hard it was to talk about that topic and how I felt like, oh, it's just fraught with like, I'm going to say something wrong and I'm not going to get it right. And I have so much compassion for that stage. And so I wanted to create a tool that a parent could pick up and say, okay, I will have some of the language here. It will give me some of the truths here. And it will also be a cozy, fun read for us to snuggle on the couch and look at together and help equip and prepare a child as they interact, as they grow up with someone with disabilities and to give them a right understanding and thinking of how we should understand that as Christians. Yeah, I'm excited because I've encountered that now a few times with my daughter. I mean, I remember the first time we were in Target and seeing someone in a wheelchair and 
you so naturally as an adult, even I think maybe we're even uncomfortable. We don't know how to really engage sometimes around people with disabilities. And so you hear a lot of the like, shh, and like turning the head and, you know, we'll talk about that later. And then I've, I've encountered things through social media, people kind of educating of don't shush your child away, like inform them or allow them to be curious in a respectful way, like have responses ready for them. And so we were on a Polar Express train ride back in December, and there was a little boy across from us who was born clearly without an arm, and he was probably three or four. And my daughter was just so curious about it. And she, you know, that moment where you're as a mom, like, oh my goodness, because she just would not look away. And it just kept getting louder and louder. Like, what happened to his arm, mommy? What happened to his arm? And in that moment, it's hard to know what to say. And so that kind of spurred on, oh, we need to be having more of these conversations just in the car, wherever, just about what that is and like why that happens to children and how God made them and everything. And so how would you encourage moms like Christian and I and anyone else listening who doesn't have as much experience with disabilities to talk with your kids about it? Yeah, this is such a great question because it does take intentionality. And what's going to happen is exactly what happened to you where maybe you don't talk about it for a while and then you're in a situation where you're like, oh no, I really wish I would have prepared right. for this. You know, yeah. I mean, my older two kids, I had the same experiences. So just know, no one is alone in this and I'm not speaking from any high horse for sure. But my best advice for parents is, if you aren't around someone who has disabilities is first just find the natural teaching tools that are already out there. I mean, you would be amazed if you just start to look around at how frequently you'll see disabilities displayed. I mean, even in kids movies. So something like how to train your dragon is a really common kids movie and the dragon and the main character, they both are amputees. And you don't really think about it like that. But then if you kind of step back, you're like, oh, okay. Like actually there's a disability right there in this kid's movie. You can even think about Dory and Nemo. Is it, doesn't Dory have like short-term memory loss? Yeah. Yeah. Or, and, and Nemo has a fin. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So it's funny because we, I think we take in a lot of these images and we don't really think about it very much. But then if you step back, you're like, okay, Hey, there's disabilities being represented. And so it doesn't mean you pause the movie right there and you're like, Hey kids, but instead Let them watch the movie, let them enjoy it, let them read the book, whatever it might be. But maybe later in the car, bring that up and say, hey, did you guys notice how Hiccup from How to Train Your Dragon, he was an amputee. Do you guys know what amputee means? That's a funny word. Let's say that word, amputee, you know, and just like you would normally train kids in any other topic, I think we can kind of draw out some of these things because I remember the time we were at Great Clips getting my kid's haircut and there was a man who had a prosthetic limb. And my oldest son, he was maybe seven or eight at the time. He was just staring at this man's leg. And my kids are on disabilities a lot, right? Therapy and family members that are extended. Like we have a lot of this in our family and my son is still just staring. And finally, the man kind of looks at him. And I think maybe my son felt his eyes on him and he looks up and he just goes, that's super cool. <laughs> and and then the man started talking. He's like, oh yeah, you like this? And he kind of like swings around. He has this very cool, like metal prosthetic leg. And he kind of swings it around and it gets into this incredible conversation about them talking about how he lost his leg and how he went and just got a new one. And it was an educational. And I was so thankful that my son, I was kind of worried, how is he perceiving this? But he was like, no, I'm familiar with this. I've seen these things. And he was just studying it kind of like, oh, this is kind of a different one that I've seen, but I know what that is. And I know why this man has it. And that's because there had been some training laid in those areas. So I think as parents, we can just do that. And then let's say you are out and about and you see a disability and your child is like 
Hey, what's that? Or what's that weird thing? You know, they say all sorts of stuff, usually very innocent and curious. My best recommendation is basically to just answer as honestly as you can. And like you were saying, like, you don't have to shush them away, but just to say, oh, that's a wheelchair that helps them get where they want to go. That offers them freedom to go where they want to be. And then I always like to encourage parents to take it one step further because going back to that categorization that kids are doing where they're kind of saying, but is it safe? They're like, okay, you told me what it is, but like, should I be a little bit afraid? And so then you as a parent can show them through the warmth in your smile and the expression of your face and say, isn't that so cool how that wheelchair is blue? Blue is your favorite color. Oh my word, that's so cool. So you can show sameness and you can show that child, oh, okay, like this is safe. This is okay. And honestly, almost every time kids are like, cool, cool. And they move on. That is the end of that. Instead of feeling like they're kind of dwelling and worried and maybe even thinking about it later, we can sort of tuck it away if we just answer it honestly and straightforwardly. I love how you talk about just making it a very normal thing that we're learning because as parents, we're all the time like, I mean, think about numbers and colors all the time as I'm like driving with my kids in the car. I'm like, oh, look at that red truck. What else is red? I mean, we talk about the color red. We're like, oh, look at the stop sign. It's red. And I'm like, yeah, why don't we do the same thing with disabilities? Because it's like a normal thing around us. You know, like, yeah, wheelchair, you're going to encounter a lot of wheelchairs or you're going to encounter a lot of amputees. And so having those conversations just as normal learning tools, like this is normal because like that's how God created people. And isn't that cool? I love how you just give like very simple, concrete ways to really like we do that with other things. So why don't we do that with disabilities? and make it normal because our kids are watching us and they're watching for those cues, like you mentioned. I love that. I mean, kind of moving into that, obviously you talked about your experience of having a child with disabilities, kind of your early years of really understanding and discovering like, oh, wow, what does our life look like? And you mentioned still being on a journey of like figuring out what that looks like. Talk to us a little bit like in the truth of the gospel, we as young parents, I think it would be I don't know. I think if we're all being honest, some of us could say like some of my biggest fear could be having a child with a disability. Talk to us about that. Like, what have you learned? What has God taught you in in the truth of the gospel? How can we not fear having a like disability diagnosis? I love this question. I think it is people are afraid to ask it or people are afraid to admit it. But you're right. I think it's deep in our core. It's like the moment you become pregnant, your deepest fear is that there will be something wrong with your child. And I have ear quotes here. And, or people say, as long as it's healthy. Yeah. I don't care if it's a boy or a girl, as long as it's a healthy baby. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I hear that and I'm like, oh, you know, that kind of, I'm tender to that. And I know that. And so I try to let it all go, but there is an element of, I think I've had people ask me before, should I, how can I prepare my heart to have a child with disabilities? And I don't think that's what we're called to either. We're not called to like live in fear and say, okay, I need to prepare for something that hasn't even happened yet. So I don't think we need to do that. I think we can continue to trust God and trust that whatever his plan is for us is good, whether that's a child with disabilities or not, and that his grace is going to meet us right where we're at with exactly what we need. So then I think just to give hope that if maybe there's someone out there who is pregnant and they just received a disability diagnosis, I know that the world will tell you that is incredibly tragic. They will tell you that that child shouldn't have life. And yet as believers, we know that every child from the moment of conception has inherent worth, dignity, and value. And that every single person on this planet is made in the image of God. That's what Genesis 3 tells us. And that's what gives us our value. Not our abilities, not our talents, not our skills, not what we look like, how we act, none of those things. And praise the Lord for all of us, right? That's, That's such a gift 
for anyone, disability or not, that God doesn't find our value based on what we can do for him. And so we can take that mindset in and say, okay, Lord, I don't know why you've chosen this harder path of suffering for my child. And you can grieve that deeply, wholly, fully. And you should, because it is a reality of living on this side of Eden. Disability wasn't part of God's Edenic world, but it's this side of Eden. It's part of the fall. And yet we can know that God is intentional in how he weaves together children. We can know that from John 9, this is one of the greatest hopes for me as a mom who has a child with disabilities is when the Pharisees come in and the disciples are asking, hey, who sinned? It was it the parents. Why does man have a disability? Why is he blind? It's probably the parents sin, right? Or it was probably this guy's sin, right? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You guys got this all wrong. This man has blindness so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And if you really think about that, our purpose on this planet is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And God is saying that if you have a disability, you're going to be glorifying God. That disability is to glorify God, to fulfill your purpose in life. Oh, what a gift, right? That's what we all desire and want. And God is saying, no, this is a good gift that I'm going to use to display my glory to a watching world. And as that has kind of got under my skin and it will take some time, this isn't something that you just get overnight. As a parent, you're going to grieve. And I still grieve. It's still hard and it's okay to for it to still be hard, but I can also see the joy in it. And I can also see the ways that God has used it in my life for sanctification. Even just this uh, conversation right here, I'm like, Lord, I wouldn't even be here if he hadn't have had disability come into my life. I wouldn't be in this spot right now. I can see how he has sovereignly designed and orchestrated my life. And that disability is a good gift from a loving father. It is hard, but it is still good. And so for anyone out there who's afraid, I think we're not called to fear. We're not called to a spirit of timidity. And it's okay to say, I don't want that because it's not part of God's original creation. But if you were to receive it, you can trust and know that God is good in the midst of it and that you have a privilege of the ministry of disabilities and that that is going to be used for good in your life, in your child's life and in your family's life, and that it will not return void so you can have hope. I feel emotional with you talking just because that really applies to all suffering. And Christian's question too, it's like, there's so many things as moms or just as humans in general that we can fear because it's not the way it's supposed to be. And the truth is, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. It's not if you walk through suffering, it's when as Christians, we're going to walk through whatever suffering and it might look different way. It might be more chronic. It might be for a short season. And when we can have that, like you were saying, like get inside of you and that perspective of no, anything that God lets me walk through that can be perceived to the world as wrong or broken God can turn that into such beauty and we can use that to reflect him and to show others him and be an avenue to talk about him with others. And so I just encouraging if it's something that's different than a disability, maybe, you know, we don't know what our kids are going to walk through too as they get older with. We've had friends walk through horrible diagnoses. I was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer when I was three. It's like my parents, you walk through the whole pregnancy and it's like, oh, a healthy baby. And it's like, you don't know what's ahead for anyone's life. And so to have that perspective, I think, with anything 
it's life-changing for all of us in our walks with God and in the way that we reflect Him to others. So I think that's good to mention too. Yeah, and speaking about us reflecting Him to others, like I think I'm just convicted even in this conversation of really easy ways that we say things that like actually are a really twisted view of the gospel and aren't the gospel. Because if I say, yeah, as long as the baby's just healthy, I think that's a really normal thing that we've all probably encouraged friends in a pregnancy with. I know that I've said that to people and you know, that's convicting to me as I'm like, do I expect that? Do I expect only good things? Is God only good if I get good things? Is God only good if my life turns out how I think it should turn out? And that's really convicting. I mean, that's hard to really break down and challenging and convicting to me that I'm like, let's be people that really think through our words. And obviously, you know, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to say things that maybe people interpret differently. But really, let's like be so engulfed in what the gospel is and the truth of God and his character that like anything we say can be reflections of his goodness and faithfulness in our life. I love that you mentioned, Laura, a little bit about you still grieve. There are still aspects because this is not how God created the beginning of the world. And so disability is part of that fall. So talk to us a little bit in your experience. I'm imagining as a good friend of yours, just like sitting next to you on the couch. How can we as people be people who like sit with women and moms and parents grieving in disability diagnosis? Like, what does that look like? One of the best ways that I've been served by my friends is that they have held on to hope when I haven't been able to. And I think this applies to any grief, again, that so often when we are in the darkness, we cannot see the light. And I have been so thankful and so loved by friends who have said, I will hold the light for you. I can see it. So I will look there for you. And I think in disability, it can be hard at times. I'm going to literally tear up, but it can be hard at times because you can feel like you don't know what to grieve. Thinking about my own daughter, well, okay, she's probably never going to walk. Do I grieve that? And, you know, immediately me as a mom, I'm like, yes, she is going to not be able to participate in our community at all. I am going to be home caring for her. That's where your mind goes is this horrible place. And one of the things I had to process through was how to grieve or to not grieve the things I had not been asked to grieve yet. And to just stop myself and say, what is real and what is true for today? And my friends have really helped me in that. And I think anyone, whether they're receiving a disability diagnosis for a child who's seven, that's maybe it's autism and they've had a lot of questions, or maybe it's an infant and it's right away or in utero. And they're like, I know my child is going to have Down syndrome. We've done the tests. In all of those things, I think for a friend to come in and to be able to say, I know that this is hard, but I'm going to walk with you in this. I am here. I had friends who said to me once, I was lamenting because a friend vacation had not gone as well. And we had had to stay home because my daughter was overstimulated and needed to just be in a quiet place. And I came out the next day and I was kind of tearing up and I was kind of sad. And my friends had all, they had changed plans for us. It was very kind of them. And I said, I just hate this for you guys. I hate this for me. I hate this for you guys. And they were like, stop it right now. <laughs> you know, They were like, it is fine. If in 20 years, it is all of us and your daughter, like that's going to be the best ever. We love it. Like, And they were just so positive and so genuine. It wasn't like just words. I knew that it was real. And for them to just graft her in and say, okay, like this is the whole package. We're taking the whole family has been such a gift to me. And I think some of that means they help me with my daughter and they learned to put on her braces. They have, you know, her little leg braces. They learned how to give her medicines that she needs and different things like that. They've dove in and said, we want to support you. But most of all, they have been an emotional and spiritual support for me. 
and have held up my arms. It's sort of like, oh gosh, is it Moses who, um, Joshua and who's holding his other arm, but you know, holding up his arms whenever he grows tired in the old Testament. And I think that that is how it can often feel in disability. It's a long journey. And so to be the friend that sticks is really encouraging to a mom who has a child with disabilities. I get emotional talking about community like that because I think that's what we're all like seeking. And it's helpful to want to be that friend and want to be that person to then kind of, I think we have to turn our minds sometimes from thinking, oh, I want community like that. I hope I would have people in my life like that. It's like, well, we can also be that for people as well. So that just makes me emotional. Yeah. I As you talk, I'm like just so struck by the tension you talk about between, yeah, grieving like what could be potential life things for your child, but also then quickly recognizing we've had a few interesting like couple of years with my son and like potential things that we could encounter. And it's like so convicting to me. I remember I'm going to get emotional, but just okay. sitting here in the tension of like, I know God is good. I know he's faithful. I know he's true. But then sitting back and saying like, but this is sad and I can't grieve and sitting in the tension of both of those things and so I love that you talk about that because I think it was so encouraging. Sorry, guys. Don't apologize. Um, I'm tearing up too. <laughs> it, was, it was so encouraging for me when friends would say, yeah, like that stinks. Like that is really hard. We are sad. Like we love him. We love you all. But like we also don't know what we don't know right now. And so there's this tension of like what I do know is I know that God is good. What I do know is like he is faithful. What I do know is like it's for his ultimate glory and like my good might not be how I describe my good. And so all of those things, and it's like the reality of just sitting in the tension of that, I think is so good. And I like love that you bring that up because I think a lot of us, I think even as I asked the question, we want like really black and white of like, okay, so what, is, appro- yeah, what is appropriate <laughs> to say to a friend and what is not? Yeah. I think we want really like black and white answers. And I actually love that your answer is not black and white. And yeah. It's very gray and it's very nuanced to be like, you got to figure it out. But like, you're going to meet this friend in both loving them, sharing truth with them, being sad with them, like all the things. And it's going to look different. And it's going to be messy. And you're just supposed to be there with them in it, like yep. you said. Oh. Yeah, it's it really is reminding of truth. I think we all need to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again. And there are days where we can't do that. You cannot see the light. And that is what community is for, is to say, okay, but I will remember that truth for you. I will say it again. Even if you don't have the courage to believe this right now, I'm going to believe it for us. I mean, that's the church at work. And so we can bless others by being that, being the one who remembers the truth. And our friends may reject that. They may say not right now. I mean, there's different responses to those things, but being around and waiting, I remember disability, this is totally off topic a little bit, but disability and much of what happened in my life during those years eventually led to a deep season of doubting God and just feeling like, I don't know if this is what I want to do anymore. And I've been public about this and I've shared about this a little bit. And I cannot tell you in those moments when I finally told my sister-in-law who runs Risen Motherhood with me, when I finally told her, she didn't reject me. I thought for sure she'd be like, you are unfit. You know, we got a whole big overhaul. She was like, okay, not even surprised. I mean, she probably was a little bit, but she did not receive it in that way. She just said, Laura, I love you and we're going to make it. And like, that was everything I needed in that moment. Just somebody to love me, receive me, accept me and say, we're going to make it. And that's so much of any grief that we go through where we're like, hey, I'm questioning everything. Everything is out the window. I don't even know, like put it all back on the table. We're going to reevaluate having an existential crisis. We can say, 
okay, I'm here with you. I'm going to walk with you. and I'm going to remind you of truth every step of the way until you get back to where you are. And isn't it silly? We say those things like you're saying, like, I confess it finally to my sister-in-law. And like, God already knows that. Like, yeah. he already, yeah. already oh, actually yeah. knew, like, no, Laura, I know you're thinking those things. I know you're having these doubts. I was talking to a friend recently who she's like, you'll hate to hear this, but like, I'm just really doubting, like, why is God doing this? I'm like, I'm really proud of you. Like, I literally said, that, I was like, <laughs> I'm proud of you for saying those words. I'm proud of you for bringing other people into it. I'm like, you could sit here and sulk and be really sad and frustrated and mad and bitter and like all the things, but I'm like, you're bringing other people in. So I'm like, I love you. God loves you. We're in this. We're going to do this. Like, I'm not concerned. And so I just love that, that, yeah, you brought other people in and we're transparent with that. So Yeah, he's not surprised by our human emotion of anger or doubt or whatever, but we act like it's the surprise of the century sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, you mentioned switching gears a little bit, but you had just been talking a little bit more about Risen Motherhood. So we have already mentioned we have been big fans of Risen Motherhood. How many years ago did you guys start Risen Motherhood now? It was six years ago we started the podcast and then we've been a nonprofit for a little over three. Okay. I just remember it being one of the first podcasts I really mm-hmm. ever listened to. I guess you Me could too. say you probably helped inspire ours because back then it wasn't as common to just kind of turn on your podcast app and listen to something. But I just remember my daughter's five. So yeah, like starting to listen to it five years ago, probably, and just feeling so just, I would just listen to episode after episode and feel like I was getting kind of some spiritual guidance from older moms, like right in my ears. And so you guys kind of have this mission to help moms connect their faith to motherhood. So will you talk to us a little bit about the tension of, okay, I know God has the power to change me, but I also need to act in this tangible way and there are things that I can be doing. How do we kind of live in that tension, especially in the crazy young motherhood years? Oh, man. Well, we could take like a billion yeah. episodes. Yeah, I, mean, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I like it. I like it. I will attempt to encapsulate a little bit, but it's a good question. I mean, this is what Risen Motherhood was born out of, right? Is like, if I am a Christian, does it matter what diapers I buy my kid? Because if there <laughs> yeah. is a more spiritual way of buying diapers or a more spiritual brand, well, by golly, I want to buy those, Lord. You know, I mean, that it sounds kind of silly, but those were the conversations that Emily and I were having. And we were starting to just ask as Christian moms, because what was happening at the time, six years ago, blogs were still really, really popular. And they were all like, you should cloth diaper. And this is the best brand. I was going to say, I don't even know if the question is, should you buy diapers? It's actually only cloth diapers. If you're a Christian mom, you guys, I remember, can I just say this really quick? you're going to like go deep. (laughs) I I remember, and I love this person and you know her, but I was, we were young. We adopted our daughter five years ago. And this woman like came over to my house with a Walmart bag of all these cloth diapers and I had never even seen them. And she's like, I thought you'd want these cloth diapers. And I was like, do I have to use those? Can I just use the Pampers? I remember being like, oh my gosh, is it like, yeah, okay. So that's just a side. You start to question everything. Like if this Christian lady brought these over, well, maybe this is more holy, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's totally a legitimate feeling. I think that moms go through because when you start getting into motherhood, your whole identity is just being uprooted and everything's changing and you are trying to figure out exactly who you are and what kind of mom you're going to be. And what I think has brought a lot of clarity for me over the years is especially looking underneath mom guilt. And when we talk about connecting our faith to our motherhood, a lot of times what's in between there as a big roadblock is feeling guilt or feeling a burden, right? This is what I should do. This is who I should be. It doesn't matter if you're a mom or not. We all have these stereotypes in our life where we would say, all right, I need to be this incredible career woman. I need to climb the ladder in the next two years. I need to graduate 
within six months with these degrees and these grades, or I want to be the mom that cooks all organic and gluten-free for my kids. And so I need to figure out how to do that. And these are these burdens that we place on ourselves. And so one thing that we can all do is to say, okay, I'm going to look at these things that I hold as valuable, these things that if I don't do them, I feel guilt or I feel maybe like I feel a little tension in my chest, my conscience is firing off. And I'm going to look at these things and say, okay, is it commanded by God that I do these things? Like, is that something in the Bible that he says I should do? Well, if you narrow it down, there's not a ton of commands that are transcendent from God that says, okay, these are for all people for all of time. There are very few. And they're all summed up in love God and love others. But we can look and see, okay, I should embody the fruit of the spirit and I should rest and trust in God. And I should go to church and be a part of a community. I should pray. So there are things that God commands for us to do. But let's say like, I'm kind of stressed out about, I don't know, let's just take the food example of like feeding my kids all organic. And the Bible doesn't really say, it says I should feed my kids nourishing food. It says that I should consider the needs of others, but it doesn't say it should all be organic. So that means I have freedom in this area to make a decision of, well, what kind of food do I want to feed my family? And from there, we can say, okay, well, is this something that I want to take up and I really care about? Or is this something that like, I just read that good moms do, and I'm just soaking up culture. And I actually don't really care about whether it's organic or not. Like that's not a huge priority for me, but I have these other things that are a priority. And so from there, we can start to make decisions and almost triage out what we fill our days with. But either way, whether you feed organic or not, at the end of the process, what happens is that you are going to walk away in peace. You are not going to carry a burden that feels like, oh my goodness, every time I mess up, I've just got enormous amounts of guilt. You are also not going to carry a burden that says, oh goodness, should I be doing that? I've been wanting to do that. I think it would be a good idea to do that. You know, I really think that's the right thing. No, you're going to know. I made this decision in wisdom. I walked through God's principles. I trusted him and walked in faith. And now you have the freedom to change at any time. If suddenly this does become a priority for you, or maybe you were doing it and you decide I'm going to pass on that now. So there is so much freedom in the gospel. When we start to just ask, well, what does God's word really ask of us in 2023? What does that actually look like? And then we start to filter out the voices that are trying to call to us and define us and say, this is what a good mom is. This is what a good college student is. This is what a good 20 year old is. And instead we're able to say, no, no, no. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a good Christ follower. I want to grow in holiness and sanctification. And we have to clear out a lot of that clutter. I think a lot of times and be able to say, okay, Lord, show me what you have for me. And that's walking in the faith. And then walking that out is then kind of working through a process to say, what are the things that I'm supposed to care about? What are the things that I want to consider? And then walking in freedom from that. I mean, it's just like, it's an incredible way to live whenever you start to get that thought process under your skin. Oh, Ooh, so Laura, good. that's good. I know, I know. If you want more of that, go check out Ways and Motherhood. <laughs> Two episodes I vividly remember, and I don't even know if you'll remember these. And they were so interesting because you have so many awesome people on your podcast and so many deep topics. But two that really stick out to me are talking through vacations with kids as parents. I mean, this would have been like five years ago. Yeah, I kind of recall it. It helped me change this idea. I remember my daughter was probably like six months old. We were about to go on our first trip. And it was like this perspective of like, okay, when you go on a vacation with kids, you're not really on a vacation. So how can you just like change your perspective? And I remember my husband and I listened to that as we're driving to the beach. I'm like, okay, babe, you need to hear this. And then I remember something about like the gospel 
how does that happen? Like interfere with like snack time? Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. that's kind of like what you were talking about in that episode is we think we have to have all these perfect snacks, whatever. So some of those things just like really and those are very specific to certain topics in motherhood. But yeah, when we take that same principle and apply them to the big things, it's just like you said, it's a life changing way to think. Well, I love that you said that, too. Obviously, our podcast is called Going There. We like to go there in conversation. And normally where most conversations end is it's this like gray area of just like, hey, yes. it's probably not black and white in the Bible. Yeah. So like, what do we do with this? And let's have a conversation around that. And again, very counterintuitive to how we are as humans. We like black and white things. And so a lot of times I think we get tons of questions. And even as I like mentor other people in my life, too, or have been mentored myself, I think always the question of what is discernment? How do I discern? What does discernment look like? And I think people, Laura just described it right there. Like, I think <laughs> that is discerning. Like, that is like, we've got to be walking in the faith. We have to be abiding with Jesus and reading his word and in community with that. But then you also have to then take these things of like, if it's not black and white, we got to make a decision. And then from that decision, there's peace in that. Mm -hmm. And I love the part that you said, there's freedom. Like, yeah. you should feel freedom in that. And then I think we have to follow it through of like, we should then also feel freedom in like, not judging other people and like, oh, other people are yeah, going to do it differently good. than me. Yeah, because I feel good. freedom of like, I do feel convictions in feeding my kid all organic food, but she feels no convictions. And that's totally fine if she doesn't feel that way. Yeah, that's the heart of the mommy wars right there is that everybody thinks their conviction is actually law. And it's like, oh man, this is not for all people. I've always been helped by the phrase for all people for all of time. And that phrase, I think to myself, has it been required for all people for all of time to... I'm trying to think of an example, but to have their kids in one activity every semester. No, that's silly, you know, or has it been required for all people for all of time for me to bake homemade bread for my family? No, it's not been required. Like, has it been a practice? Sure. But like, that doesn't make me more holy. And so that's like, I mean, it's not always your answer. I wouldn't say always say ask that, but it's just a good quick way to kind of say, okay, if that's not true for all people for all of time, then I don't know why I'm saying, but Laura Whiffler needs to do that. Right. Oh, that's good. I yeah, like that. That's very good. To close us out, Laura, we I'm excited to ask this question because it's fun to hear what different people say. But as someone we look up to as a few stages ahead of us as moms and just in your teaching in general, can you tell us one thing you're most excited for for this generation below you of just women coming up, young girls coming up? One thing that you're excited that you see in our generation and then one thing that's kind of maybe alarming or concerning? Okay. Oh, <laughs> this is a good question. Perhaps I'll start with the alarming, mostly because, you know, the greatest strength is your greatest weakness kind of thing. So I think like one thing that I often see with women, and I'm I'm including myself in this. I don't, I'm a millennial. Are we all millennials yeah, here? We're, yeah, all millennials. we're all millennials. Yes, we've got some Gen Z listeners. Yeah. We oh, do Gen Z. Okay. okay. Yes. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that I see is a lot of us, we're digital natives and we are some of the most creative people just incredibly innovative entrepreneurship is on the rise. Like starting your own business feels more simple than ever. And kind of crafting a job in a way that works for your lifestyle and family is just easier than it's ever been. And I love those things. And I love the way, okay, so I'm starting with the positive, I guess, but I'm so excited about this generation's creativity and innovation and just ability to say, to dream and to think like, hey, life doesn't have to be exactly what everybody else tells me it has to be. Like I can think outside the box. I can pave my own path. I think that is like such an incredible, beautiful thing. And it's something that makes me very excited for the ways that the church is going to go out. It makes me excited for how we're going to reach the next generation after us. It makes me excited in parenthood. I think 
we are seeing a lot of parents say, okay, like I don't have to only follow one method of parenting, but I can do what's best for my children based on our family's unique circumstances, based on my child's unique circumstances and the way that their personality and behaviors have been. So I think there's just a lot of ability to be free thinkers and to be able to say like, okay, I want to, I want to discover this for myself and have information that works for my life, not just doing what somebody else says. But on the flip side, I think that does indeed end up making us very independent and it makes us struggle to be mentored and be discipled and to really hear from people who are older and wiser. And I think a lot of times we can come in and feel like I know the best way. And indeed, sometimes it is more efficient or it is more innovative or it is wiser, but the humble posture of spirit isn't always there. And so I don't know, it's just that catch 22 of needing us to be able to say like, okay, we want to respect those who have come before us and respect their experience and wisdom and be okay if things don't go our way, even if our way is right. Like it doesn't really matter in the end. Again, going back to where there's freedom, what we were just talking about, that it's okay if someone does something differently or our church does worship different than we might think is the best way or does their kids church differently. And we can kind of come and submit and be underneath that and joyfully enter in and say, this life isn't all about me and I don't have to get it all right or they don't have to do it exactly my way. So I don't know. I just see like a good tension there where we can all learn from each other. But I think it's exciting to think about the possibilities that millennials can also bring to the church and to the world. Yeah, I love that answer. Yeah, that's a good answer. Tension. Yeah. what God is teaching me. So <laughs> this has been such a treat for us. And we're just so appreciative of everything you shared. The honest answer is letting, giving us space to ask some harder questions that maybe people have wondered before. So we just really appreciate your time and are thankful for your words today. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me here. It's been an honor. Yeah. Where can people find your book? Um, where's books. the best place to buy You're, it? Both books. Yeah. You have two children's yeah, books. All the books now. Yeah. Yes. So laurawiffler.com is where pretty much all my work can be found. There's a link to Risen Motherhood there. And then on Instagram is where I mostly hang out. So I would love to see anybody there. It's at laurawiffler, W-I-F is in Frank, L-E-R. <laughs> Everyone always spells it Wilfer or Whistler or all these ways, which is totally fine. So that's kind of just find me on Instagram or on the internet anywhere. So yeah, we'll make sure to put all of that information in your show notes. so It's really easy to find her. But again, thank you for all your wisdom. Thanks for conversation today. And we've loved chatting with you. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at Going There, the podcast. And it also means so much to us if you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.